Hey guys, it's Parenting Today, and this week we're talking with Joe Deegan. This is our first uh, conversation. Uh, we're going to get into music, obviously, which is his forte. Uh, we're going to uh, talk about what makes uh, music good, how does story play into music. We're going to talk at the beginning a little bit about the NFL playoffs and whether any of us could take even one tackle from an NFL player or not. Uh, spoiler alert, we can't. Uh, also, uh, before we get into it, I wanted to mention that uh, Justin Holcomb, an adjunct professor at RTS Orlando, is the guest uh, this week on the local youth worker. So you want to be sure and check that out as well. All right, we're going to jump into it with Joe. And to bring us in, Joe's going to play the music. So here he is. co-host John Parrott and as always I'm here with Kurt Cooper. Kurt say hello. Hey John how's it going? But we're throwing you a curveball today and there's somebody else joining us. Joe Deegan can you say hello? Hey guys. So Joe is uh, the second guest that we've had on parenting today. Isn't that right Kurt? That's right. I should have checked because that would have been really bad if I forgot about another guest. But, it's hard to forget just one. I know. We only had one guest. It's really That's hard. That's what I thought. But to keep count. Once you know, we but, get over like three or four, then my Mississippi State education will take over, <laughs> and I won't be able to remember. But at two, we're still good. Well, my mind so. isn't what it used to be, so I just thought there might be somebody else. But Julie Lowe was the first ever guest on Parenting Today. Joe Deegan mm-hmm. is the second. Um, so Joe, welcome to Parenting Today. Um, we're going to get you to introduce yourself in just a little bit. Um, before we get started, Kurt, is there any kind of, uh, and, and Joe, you can jump in on this too. Is there any current event or anything like that we need to, to highlight? I know last week, uh, we highlighted some, some other current events and, um, you know, I've got to go back to even see what we talked about last week because we jump around so much. Bible reading was last week and kind of keeping that a priority as the new year is kicking off and all that stuff. Um, Kurt, do you have any kind of current? Event? Well, I mean, the only thing the, on the day that we're recording this is the day after um, uh, the NFL playoffs continued. Uh, the uh, the Saints beat the Eagles and the Patriots beat somebody. Who did the Chargers. Patriots beat? Chargers. The Chargers, that's right. And all that to say is that my only cultural artifact is one thing that I'm kind of enjoying, and now their playoff run is over. But between last year and this year, even though I'm not an Eagles fan, uh, I think it's been really interesting to see how outspoken uh, Nick Foles has been about his faith. I don't know if y'all have seen any of these articles, yeah. but he is like renowned. And he's, you know, it speaks well to Christianity. I mean, he, you know, is the Super Bowl MVP and he's the backup quarterback on this team. <laughs> um, and now he's been pressed into service again. And he won a game that they probably weren't supposed to win in kind of dramatic fashion against, I think, Chicago. And now he's, uh, you know, he, he got beat, but he played really well against um, against the Saints. Anyway, I just enjoyed that. Um, I thought it was um, – it's kind of fun whenever someone uh, has some success um, in any kind of field and they're an outspoken believer. It's kind of fun to, to watch them, you know, talk about their faith intelligently and clearly and he's done that so that's the only thing in really in the news right now that i can think of that's not political we could yeah. we're trying not dive <laughs> let's not it. do that no that's, that's a good point yeah i looked at i looked at some of the news sites and i was like nope nope nope, <laughs> nope. <laughs> so 
I'm, I'm glad you're uh, you're bringing that up. That's a that's a good point for sure. And honestly, hey, how about how about how about Nick Foles and Drew Brees being from the the same high school in Austin? I know that's pretty it, crazy. They, they're both from Texas, right? Yeah, and they're both the same West, age. Westlake too. High School. Yeah, they're not really. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, yeah. What'd you, what'd you say, John? So they're both the same age too. Uh-huh. Are they? No, no. Uh-uh. Um, yeah, they're not I mean, close. Drew Brees, Drew Brees is like our age. Well, he's about he turns forty. Well, again, the recording of this podcast, he'll turn forty tomorrow on a Tuesday. So, uh, well, um, that's amazing. I can't imagine. I know we're getting way off course yeah, here. We're good. Like even one, even one hit, like one tackle from a NFL defensive lineman or a linebacker. Like like one. I feel like I would be in traction. And Drew Brees, he's he's look, first Drew Brees is an amazing athlete and much more athletic than I am, but he's not that much bigger than me. Like he's not like as far as like he doesn't weigh that much more than me. And he's not actually I'm taller than he is. So but like I can't even and he's been that's happened so many times to him. And he's older than me. And like and Tom Brady's older than me too, even though hey, Tom Brady there, much there's a legitimate chance the Super Bowl could have two quarterbacks forty and over. Hmm. Yeah. That's crazy. That is wild. Yeah. You know, and I've changed the rules so that well, they're, quarterbacks they're obviously you both on, if you if you, if you say a, a uh, <laughs> Just wow. But you if you say like a bad word to a quarterback, it's like a fifteen yard penalty. <laughs> so and some 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 of these some of these quarterbacks who retired have probably are probably like are probably thinking, man, my career could have gone a lot longer if they weren't allowed to step on my throat and rip my arm off. You know, and that wasn't even a penalty. So, that is but a, it, that is crazy. That, I just can't imagine like I, it would be like ten car wrecks for me to get hit one time, <laughs> and they, that they do that and then they get up and keep playing. It's unbelievable. No, it's a very yeah. good point. And before I know we're, we're wrapping this up because we're not going to have the entire show be about. Um, the NFL, but uh, Philip Rivers, he's also an out- outspoken Christian. I mean, he's yeah. tra- talks a lot of trash. It's just funny. I had the uh, TV on the other day, and the entire segment was okay. When you talk about trash talkers in the NFL, like Philip Rivers comes to mind, but he refuses to use profanity. And it yeah. was interviewing all these players around the league about how they've never heard him say a quote unquote curse word. And you know, people can go back on our episode, Kurt, and I'm going to look this up. Uh, let's see, episode number 11. So 11.1 and 11.2, we discussed bad language. Um, and I guess a little preview here, we're going to have a follow-up episode, and Brian Habig, Reverend Brian Habig, is going to join us uh, for that discussion. But anyway, it was just interesting. You had a Christian kind of getting the spotlight and him striving. Sports, Sports is kind of like one of the few remaining, like, secular areas where Christianity is allowed to really thrive. Like no one, you know, also Philip Rivers has like, I think like just a few more kids than you do. Like eight or nine, somewhere in there. I mean, yes. we, could, we could Google wow. it and look it up. No wonder he's not scared to play in the NFL. <laughs> he's probably more right to go home. <laughs> it's like, yes, this 200 pound man, there's 300 pound man is trying to tackle me, but at home there's like, you know, nine kids ready to <laughs> attack me. So, man, yes, yeah, my so. kids love to wrestle with me, and I feel like I have two boys. I feel like I can like take the two of them. They're not ready to take me or whatever. But if there were like three or four of them, or eight or nine of them, I feel like there's a real chance for beat me. So, <laughs> gonna be stern. Yeah. All right, we better get to me. This yeah, is fun. This is this is They're, good. Yeah, so as Kurt just said, we're going to be talking about music today, which is uh, why we've got Joe Deegan joining us on this podcast. Um, he's the music expert. 
Um, and as I said, I mean, before we started talking, uh, I, I, I'm the least musically inclined on this podcast. Kurt plays a guitar, and he's going to downplay it and say, oh, I just know like three chords or whatever, and say something very witty, as Kurt always does. But he can play the guitar. I cannot do that. Joe um, can play all kinds of things. Um, but anyway, Joe, why don't you just quickly tell us who you are, your family, where you're from, and what you do with RYM. My name's Joe Deegan. Uh, I'm from Alabama originally, Muscle Shoals, small town in the northwest corner of the state. A town, a, a town with like real musical history too, yeah. right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, moved to Houston almost 10 years ago to work with a youth group at Christ the King Presbyterian. Met my wife out there and uh, we have uh, settled down and kind of uh, made Houston our home. My wife, Leah, is from Houston and we've got three kids. Ellie is almost five. Will, I'm sorry, Sam is three and a half. Will is almost two. And um, yeah, so I'm working for RYM now as the music resources coordinator. And that means I'm leading worship at all the camps and trying to put out uh, resources for other churches and ministries. And that includes like albums and chord charts and curriculum to go with the album and just kind of anything in the music realm. Yeah, that's good. And, and Joe, if any of you listen to our other podcast, The Local Youth Worker, Joe was on there, let's see, episodes 261 through 265. And he talks about uh, this new album that RWAM uh, produced, uh, the very first uh, album through RYM Worship, and just kind of some of the, the background on some of those songs, as well as a Bible study, which this podcast should be airing um, late January, and by that time, we have a free Bible study that accompanies um, the album that Joe produced uh, that's available on our website. But Joe, why don't you briefly just tell us RYM Worship and the album and where people can find that? Yeah, it's the artist's name will be RYM Worship, if you're looking, searching for the band, and the album name is Promised Land, and it's anywhere you get music, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, all those places, uh, Amazon, uh, so you can find it any, uh, YouTube even, it's on YouTube. So, I, can I, ask, I, I know we're going to get into like the nuts and bolts and stuff, but I just, as someone who's an outsider as far as this is concerned, like, what is the process when you create an album what's the process for getting it put on these services so yeah. it's recognized what, yeah, what is it like? there, there's a like it there's kind of been a rise the past few years of independent musicians which is essentially what we are here you know back in the old days you had to be signed to a record label to get your music out there and then probably about 15 20 years ago the independent musicians kind of made a rise and so there's plenty of online platforms they're called uh, digital distributors. So you have to go through this like middleman, which is like for us as a company called CD Baby. And you upload your music and you like fill out the forms and stuff. And then they will uh, send all your music out to all the other platforms. Like I can't just go to Spotify and upload my music there. You have mm. to go through the digital distributor. But then they also serve as kind of the collection agency. They'll collect all the royalties and stuff and keep track of that. Um, so that's like the main way for independent musicians to do that. Oh, that's cool. I, that's something I would never, yeah. I wouldn't even, I, so you don't just stick your microphone up to your guitar, play something and then click go and it's on Spotify. That's no, not uh -uh. there's a, there's a process. 
Yeah, I kind of figured. Yeah, that's good to get some of the behind the scenes there um, for sure. And like we said, we'll be, you know, reminding people about this new album as well as the Bible study that accompanies that. I mean, we've got several Bible studies available. If you get rym.org slash resources, you'll see our Bible studies link. And Joe has created a, is it a 12-week study? Is that right, Joe? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so a 12-week study that... Uh, accompanies the the album and it's a free download so we want to make these resources available for free uh, you have to pay for the album um, but it's it's at a great price so you just need to go out and check that out but uh so look let's let's go ahead and get into this discussion uh as we said we're going to be talking about music and since this is parenting today trying to think about how we can pass along a biblical framework uh, to think about music uh, to our to our children how to get, get them to be thinking about music um, from you know young children to teenagers um kurt do you want to start us off on this getting into kind of the creational good and just yeah. some creational aspect and actually you know i meant to do this and i'm just going to go ahead and throw us off joe kurt what was your very first cd that you ever bought oh. not, not cassette not cassette <coughs> cd Great what's the very first question. cd you bought joe i'll let you go first gosh I'm I'm trying to remember. I, unless I know I know. I'll go first. Yeah, go, okay, you yeah, go, go, okay. go ahead, John. Go ahead, John. You can go first. Eric Clapton unplugged. I'm pretty proud. Ooh, of that. solid. And then yes, right, a right child after of the that, 90s, I see. well, right after that, Pearl Jam ten. So those are kind of. Oh, that's my first. To, are you serious? That's my first one. Yeah, Pearl Jam ten is my first one. You know what my second one was? Hang on. Weird Al Yankovic. <laughs> <laughs> was it? Was it? The smells like Teen Spirit ripoff. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What, what was that one? Smells like, what, what did he call it? I don't know. I can't even remember. <laughs> I think it was, I don't know. It might have been, was it called Off the Deep End? Maybe. Or was it called? It's funny. We I don't know. Like computers and we could look this up, but we don't care enough to, <laughs> to check it out. Yeah. It's more fun to remember, to vaguely mm. remember. In my, in my, <laughs> my third album was Crisscross. So oh, I've got, I, know, I know my first three CDs. I was wondering why you were wearing your jeans backwards today, but that makes perfect sense <laughs> yeah. now. I just got dressed in the dark. That's how it works sometimes. <laughs> so, Joe, Joe, do you remember yours? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember. One of the first ones I had was a uh, Bob Dylan Greatest Hits. Oh, that cool. was up towards the beginning. I don't know if it was my very first one, but that's the one that kind of stands out of me listening to um, uh, like one of the first CDs that I ever really listened to. Man. So that gives him a lot of credibility because it's Bob Dylan. But then among the kind of snobby ones because it's a greatest hits album you already lose credibility with some of the yeah the i didn't get deep tracks from <laughs> <laughs> no that's that's good joe joe let me ask you this before we get into like how you teach music to students and how you teach music to your own children can you talk a little bit about like how like how you became how you decided to do this how you decided to do music and about your passion for music and just what 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 was like the what were the motivating factors mm. factors in like deciding like okay well I want to make music and I want to make music yeah. for this yeah uh that's a good question a, a lot of it for me started when I was in high school and I think this is this is kind of an interesting take on the importance of music there were a community of guys that I went to school with who we were all really good friends who all of a sudden just started playing guitar when I was like 15, 16 years old. And I wanted to learn guitar. So we all, we weren't taking lessons or anything. We would just kind of get together and play and learn from each other and kind of teach ourselves. And I think 
I look back on it now and I see the importance of community in developing that that music and how much fun that was and and so I would lead worship at different places like at my church or other youth retreats and stuff and even when I was in college in different ministries and then when I was a youth director I was leading worship with um, with the youth group at Sunday school and stuff and, and somewhere along the way I, I I've always loved writing and telling stories and somewhere along the way I kind of pushed that over into the music world and decided I wanted to try to write some songs and um, really enjoyed that process. And when I finally actually got into a studio for the first time to record some of my own music, that was like the light bulb moment. That was, that was when I realized like, this is what I'm meant to do. Like I, this is what I want to uh, spend my life doing. <laughs> however, uh, however that works out and didn't really know what it would look like, but decided to go for it. So that, it was kind of a slow process, but I remember that moment of like coming home from the studio and telling my wife, like I found what I'm supposed to do. Like this was like one of the most fun days of work I've ever had. Um, on, on the back of that, um, what, what do you think, um, on the B side of that, right, Kurt? Wow. John, let's just, let's just try to, let's just try to work in as many music references as we can. So keep going. Yeah. Well, that, that he that, that was a that was definitely an off tune joke or out of tune or I don't know I don't want to get into musical puns. Um, We're gonna speak. keep going, Kurt. Listen, I'll make a note of that. There you go. Um, here we go. Uh, talk, talk a little bit about talk a little bit about like musical influences. Okay, you're you're how old are you by the way? Thirty three. You're 33, so you're born in 1985? 85, 86? that's right. 85. Kurt likes so, to share talk- his math skills, by the way. Okay. Wow. Um, you're going to be in some serious treble if you keep that up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Just a little anyway. fire, John. He said he wasn't going to get into it, but now he's like, that's all he's going to say every sentence. Is a I know. It's tough. Well, talk, talk in all seriousness, talk about like musical influences. Like you said, you picked up the guitar. What were you listening to or who were you listening to and, and who influences you even today? Who do you listen to that, you know, you think, Oh man, that inspires me to go and get in the studio yeah. and write more and sing more. Well, I, I would say the person who really inspired me to start writing music was Andrew Peterson. Uh, Andrew Peterson is a Christian artist who is not like the kind of like, guy you'd really hear on the radio. He's a little more under the radar than that. But he, he came to our church in 2010 and did his uh, Behold the Lamb Christmas concert. And I had never heard of the guy, but he was coming to our church. And so I went and heard him and I was just blown away. And I think the thing that struck me was his storytelling like mixed into the music. And that just struck a chord with me. But right. Uh, <clears throat> But uh, anyway, I, I just I loved it so much, and, and I and I wanted to. I realized that that you could kind of combine the art of like storytelling and music and, and putting that together, and and I wanted to try my own hand at that. So that Andrew Peterson's been a huge influence for me uh, in terms uh, of writing. Well, I was going to ask. You mentioned Bob Dylan, and you mentioned Andrew Peterson, and you talk about story. Are are you someone who really gravitates toward like narrative type music, like music? I do. Both those people are known as. Yeah. You know, I think about Bob Dylan songs that tell stories, like Hurricane or 
other songs like that? Like, is that something that is like, would you say that's like your preferred style or what you really yeah, gravitate towards? Yeah, it is, which has been an interesting thing for me because, you know, ever since I started doing RYM, I started writing worship music, music for the church. And I actually had a, sat down with a professional Christian songwriter who's had a very successful career and he, um, and he told me that this just stuck with me. He said, uh, he, he, he gave me some really good critique on my music and some really good tips for growing and getting better. But one of the things he said was, if you want to write worship music, you have to put aside the storyteller. And I, I don't know, I didn't, that didn't sit well with me. And so I, mm. I don't know if I went out to kind of like disprove that, but I, I look at the hymns. I mean, Hint, most of the hymns you see are just like it's a story from beginning to end and incredibly written stories and I thought it, if you can do that with hymns you can do that with with modern worship music and that doesn't mean all worship music has to have a tell a story necessarily but I, I felt like there was a way to do that and I've tried to do that on some of my songs hmm. and I think just this I mean y'all are hitting on something big and just something Maybe, you know, as we're discussing the creational good is the the emphasis on story and, and, you know, the season three of the local youth worker, the entire theme is story and the significance of story. And as we've said, you know, God chose to reveal himself through a story and he left us a book. And we know that the Bible is one big story that ultimately points us to Jesus Christ. And so as we're kind of relating this to music, I mean, that should just be no surprise to us that, that. you know, story resonates with us. I mean, just last night, it was funny. My, my three oldest kids, um, they, they were uh, coming in after church and they were still up. The other two were in bed and they just started asking me to tell stories. And it's just so interesting how how captivated they are by yeah. by story. And, and again, it's, you know, some young children and they just, it resonates with them and they want to hear that. And of course, you know, when you combine story with something else, powerful um, music, uh, I, I mean, it's it's uh, it's no you know no surprise that you fell in love with that and and since to call uh, to that and so maybe Joe talking to us a little bit about that just some of the ingrained um, I mean and I think some of this is what we talked about on the local youth worker but how music and rhythm and all of that is in our DNA maybe hit on that a little bit yeah I mean I think <clears throat> you look at the creation story and the. Genesis one is a song, you know, it's, you see a rhythm and you see repetition. There was evening and there was morning, the first day, the second day. And that I, I think I, I heard someone say this one time that, um, music is not creation. Creation is music. Like the, it's almost like the two just go hand in hand. And, uh, and I think if speaking of stories, if you've read the Chronicles of Narnia, there's a reason that when C.S. Lewis shows Aslan creating Narnia, he's creating it with a song, you know, in The Magician's Nephew. And, and I, I think that creation and music just go hand in hand. It's almost like they're the same thing. I think um, it's been a while since I've read it, but I also think when J.R.R. Tolkien wrote The Cimmerillion, which is yeah. like the creation account of um, in Lord of the Rings, uh, I think there's also music involved in, in their creation as well. Yeah. And also like the fall of um, the Satan figure there who tries to change the tune to bring himself yeah. more glory or whatever. I think it's been a, I mean, it's been more than a minute since I've, um, since I've read that, but uh, l- let me ask you this as someone who, you know, leads students in worship. Um, 
what makes a song okay i think i know what makes a good song and what makes a bad song but if you ask me to define what it was my rudimentary definition would be it's what i like and what i don't like if i like it it's good and if i don't like it it's bad which is pretty subjective like objectively when we're look, we're listening to worship songs, I and mean, we don't want to get like so cynical and critical that we ignore yeah. like the higher purpose. But at the same time, like what makes a worship, what makes worship music good or bad? Like what are what are the objective things that students and parents should listen for, um, and say, okay, this is this is good and this is bad. Uh, I think there's a lot of things that can go into that even musically and complexity and stuff. But to, to me, this is something I've, I've been trying to think a lot more about lately. So, okay. Speaking of story, this is something I've been trying to learn more about just myself as a storyteller and a writer. One of the things that uh, I've learned is that there's a difference between story and plot. All right. A, uh, a plot is basically like all the stuff that happens story is like what all that stuff means and so i i would i would say or this is kind of a theory i'm working out on my own here but i think every song has both a plot and a story i think the plot of a song is like the content it's like um like what who's speaking who are they speaking to what are they saying what does it sound like what does this song make you think about like what kind of language is used like that that's all plot in my opinion but I think there's there's also a story that goes to it. And I think most of the time when, when most people listen to music, I think we're generally paying more attention to the plot and the story. And so I, I think that it's the story that really kind of tells a good versus bad song. Mm. And, and I think that there are um, plenty of songs out there that might have an acceptable plot, but the story that they're really telling isn't redemptive. It's not like pointing to the truth. And so I guess uh, to circle back on your question to Kurt, I, I think one of the things that makes, I, I've, I've heard this from non-Christian songwriters. Any songwriter will tell you that the thing that matters most in writing a song is you have to be honest. You have to tell the truth. Okay. So from a Christian perspective, telling the truth about, uh, the world from a, uh, you know, Christ centered point of view that like there, there are some things that we look to, to satisfy us that won't satisfy us. The problem is there are lots of songs that glorify those things and pretend like they do satisfy us. So I, I think that that's a song that's not telling the truth, you know, that, mm. so I think being able to see like, uh, is this song telling a story that is actually presenting the truth? Mm. I think that's, that's a good place to start. I love what you said about I love what you said about story though. It made me think of sometimes in really old songs, there's just one line or two lines that like it's not really the plot of a story, but it, it you're intrigued about what's happening. I'm literally thinking about right now um, in the song "And Can It Be," which is written by Charles yeah. Wesley, which is a really famous hymn, and he mm -hmm. you know obviously a prodigious uh, songwriter, but and hymn writer, but. He, uh, it says, in vain the firstborn seraph tries to plumb the depths. Um, and it's just, it's just this little tiny little line in there where it says, like, oh, like a baby angel like tries to see how deep God's love is, and it's in vain, like it can't do it. And just even that mm -hmm. little 
that's just like a little story, all right? It's just like a yeah, little piece. Yeah, but it and it conveys an eternal truth, all right? And mm-hmm. it, but it doesn't take up the whole song. No one thinks that that is the center of and right. can it be, you know? Um, or or even like I don't know why I keep thinking about angels, but also like in Holy, Holy, <laughs> Holy, which is you know one of the most famous hymns. It says cherubim and seraphim falling down before the um are casting their crowns all around the glassy sea. I'm I'm not saying the lyrics right even just um it's hard to say them to us kurt go ahead yeah i'm good we're i think we're good man um i think i think we're good um but anyway just the idea that like even a tiny line in a song can picture Mm. can can give a picture of a story uh i i just had one i know john is gonna want to ask a few questions and i'm sorry for dominating it um as he rolls his eyes at me um but uh but like I just remember when I was um, in high school and the songs, the worship songs that we listened to, especially the newer worship songs, so many of them were focused on what I was going to do for God instead of what Mm. God was going to do. I remember singing, uh, well, I don't want to like just drag like every songwriter, but I'll take one song. I'll I'll just do one. I mean, as as much as we can joke about this, this is important. I mean, we need to be able to offer criticism and we're not just bashing, but this is helpful. This is in an educational context. But y'all remember the song that goes um, uh, over the mountains and the seas, your river runs with love for me. Uh-huh. And it, it goes, I can sing of your love forever. Do y'all remember yeah, that song? Yeah, yeah. And you just kept singing the song. You kept singing the line. I could, sing, you know, over and over and over again. And they would, you know, in the tradition where I grew up, we would, you know, we could sing a chorus many, many, yeah. many times before <laughs> the band was ready to stop. But until enough people had come down the aisle, but, um, eyes closed, but, looking up. Yeah. Well, look, I'm not here to make fun of people worship, John. I, don't, I feel like your comments are falling a little flat. So, <laughs> <laughs> music puns. <laughs> See that one? They cut out. People didn't even hear you say that one. That was another good one. That's okay. But all that to say is that. Talk to me about how you balance uh, your songwriting as far as like how much, because there is a place to talk about what we do. Like, yeah. you know, I think of a song like Jesus, I, my cross have taken, like that's a song with some first person yeah. pronouns in it. But uh, talk, talk about the balance between talking about what we're going to do versus talking about what Christ has done for us. And if does that even play a factor or am I just in my own head about that? I think it. I think it does play a factor. I, I think the the best. Okay, the I, I heard another songwriter say this one time that like the best thing you can do as a writer is just read, 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 read. Like get as many words into your mind as you possibly can. And so I would say the best thing you can do as a worship songwriter is read the Psalms and just just like pour through them and get them in your head. I, I don't know if you could like really say like there needs to be a certain type of balance between like um, first person songs or like collective, uh, like we, our, like that, the collective pronouns or like songs about what we're doing for God or what he does for us. But I think at least this is what I'm trying to do. The, the more you read the Psalms, I think that type, the language that's used through the Psalms should really be, um, kind of pouring out through the songs that we sing and the songs that we create and worship. I think that's maybe the best place to to start. 
This is really good. I mean, this is very um, interesting. Just, I mean, Kurt, your point a minute ago about just the the little story in that entire hymn. And just, I mean, you think of, you know, as, as someone, a writer or whatever, just taking that little chunk of that song and just going down that path of even kind of developing that story in your own mind. And of, of course, as we're singing about this glorious truth that's rooted in scripture, um, yeah, just the... the you know, the need to meditate and using songs to, you know, help in our prayers and meditation for sure. Um, Joe, I know we're going to start wrapping this up before too long, but you, you said something a while back that I wanted to to hit on was the importance of community um, mm. and just kind of your own process of developing as a musician. And we know, as we've said plenty of times on this podcast, how vitally important community is to uh, Christians that we were created in the image of a triune God. And so that's in our DNA to be in community. So could you talk just a little bit more about that creational good? And I mean, I know kind of singing hymns corporately, I mean, corporate worship, I mean, that's an aspect, but just talk to us a little bit about community. Like from a, like creating music standpoint or just from like music, like singing music? Or... How about both? Why don't you start with okay. kind of a create, creating music, but then also um, singing it corporately? I th- well, from creating, music is so important. It, it's, I, I haven't done that, that much co-writing in my life. It's a hard, intimidating thing to co-write a song with someone. Um, it, it, and honestly, couldn't even tell you like exactly how it's supposed to be done. This uh, past fall, I actually got a chance to do that with some Houston songwriters. We got together and did this project on like uh, trying to make new Christmas music for the church. Uh, and I met some songwriters from around town that I didn't know. And we wrote songs together all day long for like three days in a row. And I, I was just blown away at how things just kind of flowed like you, we, you wouldn't really make a plan I couldn't even really go back and tell you exactly how the process went but something happens with community when you get people together who are kind of working towards a common goal like something just happens you just you sharpen each other and um, and I think that's that's a beautiful thing in, in terms of creating music and uh, and you need you need people around you to help to help push you and um, and and uh, keep moving you towards the goal that you, that you want to reach in terms of singing. I think that, I mean, that's, that's why we sing together in church is because we need to hear ourselves sing out loud this truth. And I think we need, we need to hear the people around us sing. I think there's, there is a beauty in that, um, that kind of communal response and, uh, and lifting our voices in song, which I think is largely what we were made to do uh, by the Lord. Hmm. Yeah, that's good. And like I said, I want us to wrap this up. Um, but I mean, I'm sure we're going to pick up so, some more creational good on on Thursday. Uh, but also, just as you talked about, you know, truth and music and the importance of truth, and um, I think that could serve as a good segue into the fall because something I, again I've quoted before on this podcast was. Uh, from Brian Gadawa, he wrote this book called Hollywood Worldviews, and he talks about uh, the reality. I mean, quoting Philippians four, um, whatever is true, whatever is good, whatever is beautiful. Uh, think about these things, dwell upon these things. That he illustrates there's a dark side to truth, um, and that mm-hmm. you know that can come through in our music as well. Even dwelling on kind of darkness and brokenness, and how mm-hmm. even though it might be a, a hard 
a sobering thing to think about that as Christians we can, you know, enjoy uh, that aspect of truth. But again, I, I wanted us to to wrap this up, and maybe we can pick up at this point on on Thursday. Does that sound good with you guys? Yeah. All right. Well, it's been a awesome. it's been a good discussion, Kurt. Why don't you take us out? All right. Well, obviously we'll be uh, joining. Joe's going to join us again on Thursday, and uh, to keep this discussion going. And we'll see you guys then.